Love that guy. Sarcasm, right? <laughs> no. No, I do, I do, I do. Amen. Good morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. Had a little, little something, something. But yeah, but how's everyone doing this morning? Hope everyone's doing great. It's Palm Sunday, right? God is awesome, right? Amen. Amen. So, yeah, it's going to be, uh, yeah, anyway, never mind. <laughs> I was going to say something, but I'm not going to say it. But yeah, I hope everyone's doing well this morning. Yeah, so pray for me because my throat has been like killing me all week. And yeah, that's what I go through, right? You all know, right? So that's what I go through. But anyway, um, so how many of us, we're going to talk about Palm Sunday this morning, obviously, right? It's Palm Sunday. And normally we preach out, normally I speak out of uh, what we're reading, whatever, whatever passage we're reading this, uh, this Sunday. Um, but this week we're going to do Palm Sunday and not Psalms. But which is, is good, right? Amen? All right. So how many of us have, have become too familiar with someone or, or something where we kind of slip up in something that we say or do? How many of us have done that, right? Or too casual in a situation where you overstep your bounds or make a costly mistake? And I've done that many times. I've done that many times. And there are times when we, when we can see... We can be so saturated in, in routine that we, that we stop paying attention and, and, and to what's going on and what we're doing. It can be, do, it can be dangerous to, uh, to drive on a road that we drive on every single day, right? It's dangerous because we stop, we stop uh, being alert. We, we take things for granted. You know, we figure we can, we can drive this route and, uh, with our eyes closed, right? If something different happens on the road that, that we may not notice at all, you know, we might not notice it at all, right, until it's too late, until it's too late. You know, a husband and wife can soon take for granted all the things their spouse does. We can take for granted all the things our spouse does. In fact, they become so used to the, to the provisions, you know, the meals cooked, the garbage taken out, the laundry done, you know, the yard mowed. Uh, children, children taken care of, that before long, we don't, re we don't even realize the person is doing, doing those things. We don't even realize it. And before we know it, we feel, we feel like we're the only, only one putting uh, anything into our relationship. It's at those points that a lot of times, you know, marital affairs take place at that time, or you grow out of love, whatever you want to call it, whatever. Those things happen during those times. You know, a parent can become uh, so used to having their child filling their lives with, with joy that they don't appreciate their child until they move away. The same is certainly true about living in a small town or, or going to a small church or, or, or a small school. Right? We often hear people complain about how something, how something is so smothering. Right? How smothering it could be to, go, to live in a small town or go to a small church or go to a small school where everybody knows you. Right? Everyone knows all your business. Right? All the time, though, you know, we're unappreciative of the close friends we have or the good school system that it is or, or the sense of community that we have. 
We become so used to those things that we don't notice them until they're gone. This is also a danger that we face when we come to the Easter season, right? A lot of times we have, uh, you know, we, we have these, you have these accounts of the triumphal entry, you know, the cross and the, and the resurrection. They're so familiar to us, to most of us, that, that we can easily go through the motions in the celebration of those things. We can celebrate them without even allowing the message of these events to touch us. And this coming Friday, we have uh, the Good Friday service, our annual Good Friday service, and where we hear teachings uh, on the last seven words of Jesus from the cross. And I want to encourage everyone to come because it's really, really good. It's, it's really a blessing that we have. We have people come, guys come up and, and they share, you know, their thoughts. It's only like five, ten minutes each or something like that, but it's, been a, it's always a blessing, always a blessing. So I want to encourage you guys to come, all right? So the challenge every year is to read the accounts, you know, with fresh eyes. We want to read these accounts with fresh eyes every year because a lot of times we get, you know, get, get into a routine. You're like, oh, you know, oh, yeah, this is this time. Oh, it's Easter time. Oh, it's Christmas time. You know, those things like that. So we want to read this account with fresh eyes today. Amen? Amen. So why don't you turn with me to John 12. 12 to 19. See, now this is a different account of, a little bit different account of, of this because all the other gospels, you know, pretty much are pretty much the same. But if you read, uh, come with me to, uh, go with me to John 12, verses 12 to 19. It says, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus, Jesus found a donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they heard uh, that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting no, us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So what do we see here? What do we see here? First, I think, we see a strong declaration of love. You know, last week, Ephraim uh, preached an excellent word on the love of God. And if you haven't heard it, haven't seen it, you can go see it. It's on the website. So I'm just, you know, just letting you know. Uh, but yeah, but uh, it's an excellent word. Excellent word on the love of God. He preached out of 1 John uh, 4. And, but yeah, and so, but we see a strong declaration of love here, you know, and this, so now this, this event, this, this, what happened here, this triumphal entry was so out of characteristic, so out of the character of Jesus, just out of the character of him. You know, before this, Jesus had always avoided the spotlight. 
You know, in, in John 2, you know, Jesus is asked by his mother to, if he would help some friends, you know, uh, and family, his friends of the family at a, in a, from embarrass, an embarrassing moment, you know, at a wedding, you know, because they had, they had run out of wine. Right? There was a problem there because he ran out of wine. The wine was, you know, so he turned water and he turned the water that they had into wine. Right? But Jesus responded to his mom. He goes, you know, my hour has not come. It's like, why are you bothering me? My hour has not come. Jesus didn't want to make, you know, want to make a public scene at the wedding. You know, in John 6, you know, we, had, we see the occasion where uh, when Jesus felt that the people were ready to, to, uh, to take him and make him king by force. Rather than enjoy public acclaim, Jesus left town. He left town. In fact, whenever the ministry of Jesus seemed to be getting to a point where success is in, in the, he had success in the community, Jesus would go somewhere else. He would always go somewhere else. You know, on several occasions, Jesus tells those who, who even healed don't tell anyone about it. Don't tell anybody. Jesus was not looking for public demonstrations on his behalf. He was not seeking the spotlight until today, until that day. Notice also that in the past, though Jesus never compromised the truth, he generally walked away from conflict situations. Most of the time, that's what he did. He walked away. Now, in, in the other three Gospels, John, and, and Dave read one this morning, today, you know, that you know, we're told that Jesus had arranged to use a donkey, right? Which is, you know, it was pretty cool. He told his disciples to go out and hey, you're going to find the donkey. You know, it's going to be one tied up outside. And they were asked, you know, if they were, if they were asked why they were taking the donkey, they're going to say the master was in need of it. The master needed it. The Lord needed the donkey. And, you know, so Jesus had this parade in mind. He had something in mind. You know, this was not a spontaneous demonstration. Jesus intended it to happen. He intended it to happen. The question is why, right? Why did Jesus orchestrate this grand demonstration? Why did he do it? It certainly wasn't because Jesus wanted to throw a party, for, you know, in honor of himself, right? He didn't want to throw a party. You know, when Jesus caught, you know, his first glimpse of Jerusalem, you know, he didn't stop to savor the moment. You know, it, the Bible says that he wept when he saw Jerusalem. He cried when he, when, he, when he saw Jerusalem. You know, the procession was not frivolous either. It was purposeful. It was not provoked by vanity, but by compassion and love. It was provoked by, it was provoked by passion, compassion and love. But why, though? Why? You know, first of all, it, it was time. It was time. You know, it was time for Jesus to do what he came to do. If you read further in verse 23, it says, you know, Jesus says that the hour has come. The hour has come. God was, de God was determining the timing, not man. God was determining the timing, not man. You know, the Jewish leaders had previously decided that it was unwise to move against Jesus during the Passover celebration. Said it was unwise. 
They felt that it would, it would cause too much of an uproar. So they were willing to wait until things cooled down, right? And all that changed after the parade. All of it changed. Why was it so important for Jesus to, that, that, to, uh, to Jesus that these men were, uh, would arrest him during the Passover? Not only because there were so many people in town, right? It was because it was God's plan for Jesus to die at the same time as other sacrificial lambs. To understand the significance of, uh, uh, of this, you would need to, to understand something about the Passover celebration, right? So the Passover celebration was a yearly celebration commemorating uh, the, the freeing of the Jewish people, you know, from slavery in Egypt. On the night called Passover, God struck every firstborn child of the Egyptians. This devastating plague led to the release of, 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 of the Jews from bondage. So God, so God told the Israelites, you know, to slaughter a lamb and take the blood of the lamb and apply it to their doorposts of their, the doorposts of their homes. And this blood of the lamb would reckon, be recognized by the angel of death as protecting the firstborn child that lived within that home. It was meant to be a picture that pointed to another lamb who would die in our place to free us from such, uh, from a such much greater, a much greater slavery. Right, the slavery to sin and death. It was, it, was a point, it was pointing to the future. It was pointing to a time where, you know, a, a lamb would be slain and it would, give, it, would, it, would, it, it would free us from a much greater slavery than the one that they were in. So it was likely that at the very time that Jesus was, was you know, dying on the cross, the lambs were being slaughtered over the Passover, for the Passover feast. He was the lamb of God taking on the sins of the world. Second, Jesus wanted it to be clear that this was a voluntary act. It was voluntary. You know, he could have simply, you know, laid low, right, been incognito. He could have walked away as, as he had done before. You know, we read throughout the New Testament of times when the people were, went to kill, to kill Jesus and he simply walked away. They had no power over him. No power over him. They could not take him until he allowed them to. But knowing what was before him, you know, the betrayal, the humiliation, the suffering, death, he chose, he chose to come to Jerusalem. This is the magnificent love of our Savior. The great love of our Savior. Jesus was not, unwill it was not an unwilling victim of, of a vicious plot. He was a willing sacrifice for all who would believe. But do you hear the practical message in this? You know, some of you wonder if God is, could possibly love you. Some of us wonder, you know, how could God love me? Perhaps you failed him, you know? You're so ashamed that, you know, that it's possible for you to, to you're so ashamed that it's impossible for you to imagine that God could still, still love and care about you. Look with fresh eyes at the, at the parade in Jerusalem. 
Jesus did not, uh, is not surprised by our failures. He came to Jerusalem in order to deliver us from those things. He knows what you've done. He knows what I've done. He wants, us, he, he wants to make us clean and set us free. His invitation is simple. He said, come to me, all who are heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. You have burdens, come to him, and he'll give you rest. Have you done that, though? Have you done that? Are you hiding from the very one who wants to, to love you more than you've ever been loved before? Maybe it's time to stop hiding and start believing. Maybe it's difficult, to, difficult for you right now, though. Perhaps, you know, you wonder if God is, is out to get you, right? You might think that. God might be out to get me. You know, per, you know perhaps things are so painful in your life that you're questioning his love for you. If that's the case, look again at the parade in Jerusalem. Look at the parade in Jerusalem. Realize that the Savior who gave his life for you, who gave his life for you, loves you with a depth that is unfathomable. Unfathomable. See him as he goes to the cross on your behalf and in your place. Realize that his love is so great that you can, you can be certain that he would not allow any needless suffering in your life. The trials that come, you know, at present are, are purposeful and designed to lead you to, into something that's good. Maybe you find that, you know, life is characterized by loneliness and the feeling that you have been forgotten. As others celebrate the Easter season with family and, and friends, your table is set for one. It's possible that you walk around your house wondering if, if anyone would miss you if you were gone. Look at the parade and see with new eyes. You know, understand that when Jesus marched, you know, into Jerusalem, you were on his mind. You were on his mind. The death he willingly suffered was sacrifice, was a sacrifice designed to make you part of his family. You know, you may feel alone, deserted, or unimportant, but you were significant enough to the Savior for him to go to a cross on your behalf. You're significant enough. He knows you and loves you. You know, it's, it's for, it's for, you know, it's, it's good for us, I mean, it's, it's nice for us to talk about, you know, the love of God. But so, it's so easy to do that, right? But it's so difficult for us to accept it. So difficult for us to accept it. Do you understand that when, when we will, that, that he willingly went to Jerusalem for you and for me? He willingly did that. You know, in his book, Knowing God, uh, um, a person named, his name is J.I. Packer. And he wrote, uh, if I understand God's love, why do I ever grumble and show discontent and resentment at the circumstances in which God has placed me? Why am I ever distrustful, fearful, or depressed? Why do I ever allow myself to grow cool, 
formal and half-hearted in the service of the God who loves me so? Why do I ever allow my loyalty to be divided so that God has not all my heart? These are good questions. These are really good questions. We see, strong, we see a strong declaration of love in the parade, in the triumphal entry. But we also see a strong reason for hope. We see a strong reason for hope. John wrote, you know, he wrote, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. This is a quote from the Old Testament book of Zechariah. In Zechariah 9.9, we see a prediction of, of a king, excuse me, that a king would, would ride into Jerusalem one day on a donkey. That's the prediction. The declaration was made around 550 years before Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And at the time, Israel had no king. Israel had no king at that time. They were just returning to Israel after their, their Babylonian exile and captivity. So what? What does this mean for us, though, right? That's what you always ask. What does this mean to me? What does this mean for me? No, it's simple. This is simple but essential truth uh, for our daily living. God has a plan. God has a plan. You know, there's a purpose to his plan as well. God has a plan, you know, in sending his son to the earth. His plan was not to bring, bring us prosperity, right? His plan was not to make you happy. Sorry. <laughs> sorry to hear, sorry to tell you. His plan was not to make the world a better place. God's plan is recorded in John 3, 16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall, have, shall not perish, but have eternal life. That was his plan. When Jesus came, you know, he came with the plan. You know, he didn't come to promote preachers, right? Like Dave did to me today. Dave, bad man, bad man. No, I'm kidding. I love Dave. Anyway, <laughs> but he didn't come to, you know, to, to uh, you know, promote preachers. He didn't come to build to build big buildings. You know, he didn't come to start a bunch of programs. You know, he didn't come to bring physical healing. He didn't come to draw large crowds. He told us why he came. In Luke 9, 19, 10, he says, For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. He came to save the lost. We tend to judge a church's success by, by how large a crowd is on, on a Sunday. Or, or, but, but, but Jesus wasn't concerned with buildings full of people. He still isn't. He still isn't. Jesus is the one that will lead the 99 in order to go out and rescue the one that is lost. That's our Jesus. You know, the purpose of God's plan was to save lost sinners. And that is still his plan and his desire today. Not, not only do we see the purpose of, of, of God's plan, we also see the purity in God's plan. Now, the reason that we needed the Savior is because we were, we were wretched sinners, right? We're wretched sinners. That's who we are. There on Calvary, Jesus shed his precious blood. Right. That blood is the only thing that can wash away our sins. It's the only thing that can wash away our sins. 
The Bible says that our righteousness, our righteousness, you know, that comes from us is like a filthy rag. You've never been saved. If you've never been saved, you're stained with sin. And you cannot clean yourself up. You can't clean yourself up. But God's plan of salvation can make, you, make the worst sinner clean. No matter where you've been or what you've done, Jesus' blood can wash away your sin. There's no sin too big. There's no sinner too lost. You know, Jesus loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. No matter your situation, Jesus can make you pure. He can make you clean. But you say, like, but I'm, I'm a murderer. Jesus loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Say, I'm a thief. Jesus loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. I'm a pimp. Right? I'm a prostitute. Jesus loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. I'm a drug user. But Jesus loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. I'm a drug dealer. The same thing. Jesus loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. And I'm an alcoholic. Jesus loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. I'm a homosexual. Jesus loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. I'm an adulterer. Jesus loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. But you say, I, I, I've never done any of those things. I'm a good person, right? I'm a good person. But know this. You're just as lost in need of a savior, just as much as a man on death row. We're just as lost in need of a savior. The good news is that Jesus loves us and wants to have a relationship with us. But here's the catch, though. There's a catch. There's always a catch, right? Just like he died for you, you need to die for him. You need to die for him. Just like he took up his cross, you need to take up your cross every day for him. Die to yourself. Die to your sinful desires. Yes, all those things are sin. And even more, they're all sin. But we need to die to ourselves every day. God takes us as we are, but we never stay the way we are. We never stay the way, that way. God's, through God's plan of salvation, Jesus makes us pure. Jesus makes us clean. Because he has a plan, right? God has a plan. God's plan didn't end with the coming of Christ. You know, the world we live in is not running out of control. God is not surprised by what's taking place in society today. He's not surprised. Now, he doesn't like it, but he's not caught off guard. He's not caught off guard. The Bible is clear that there's coming, a, there's coming a day that when Jesus will return, you know, and at this time, he will not come as a humble servant, but will return as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The decay of our, our world does not surprise him. He told us it would come, right? In, 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 in 2 Timothy 3, he says, but mark this. Paul's writing to Timothy. He says, but mark this. 
There will be terrible times in the last days. He said terrible times in the last days. But then he goes on, he says, people will be lovers of themselves. Sound familiar? Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It's 2,000 years ago he's writing this stuff, right? There'll be terrible times in the last days. You know, God is not wringing his hands, you know, we're all worried, you know, wondering what to do. He's in control. He is in control. You know, practically in our lives, you know, do you understand that the things in your personal life are, are not out of control either? They're not out of God's control either. Do you understand that God has a plan for you too, for you individually? You know, I know from personal experience, you know, that there are times when I... <laughs> I see what's going on in and around my life, and I'm like, God, what are you trying to do? What is going on? But we read also, we read today in verse 16, it says, that at first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. On that day when Jesus walked towards Jerusalem and his disciples were, they weren't aware of what God was doing. They did not know what God was doing. They missed the significance of that day. Only later did they come to see the hand of God in all that was taking place. That may be true in your life as well. You may find out later what God was doing. Look, the fact that you don't understand what God is doing in your life, what's going on in your life, does not mean that God does not know, is not, is not at work. That God does not know. Just because we don't know, doesn't mean that God doesn't know. Or that God is not in control. He has promised that we would lead everyone, he would lead everyone that who believes in him to that which is ultimately good. You know, our promise is that God knows what he's doing. You may, not understand, you may not understand, but you can trust him. You can trust him. In fact, God does not require us to understand. He, does not, he, doesn't, he doesn't require us to understand what's going on, but he asks us to trust him. He asks you to trust him. The one thing we do understand is that the Lord wants us, wants to entrust, wants us to entrust ourselves to him. That's what, that's what we do now. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do that? You know, so are you coasting in your spiritual life, though? Are you coasting in your spiritual life? Have you taken things, you know, of God for granted? Are you listening to God's word but hearing nothing? Perhaps it's time for you to read once again. You know, the, the, the fresh and pivotal accounts of God, but of, of, of how God has revealed his love to us, to you personally. 
Maybe it's time for you to wake up to the fact that God is on the throne of life. He's on the throne of life. Perhaps it's time for you to, to bow down before his throne to give him the honor and praise that he desires and deserves. He deserves it. Well, Jesus loves you. He loves you. You know, he faced the mobs for you. He, he endured torture for you. He went to the cross for you. He went there so you could be free. Free from sin's addiction. Free from the treadmill of futility. And free to live. Free to live. He came to give life. So you might have life and have it to the full. It's Jesus talking. Have you responded to the, his invitation to be his? You admire him, right? But are you willing to trust him? Are you willing to follow him? Not just to church on a Sunday, but in your daily life. Are you willing to trust and trust yourself to him even when the future is confusing, believing that God has a plan? Are you willing to serve him until that day when his plan on earth is fulfilled? These are the questions for Palm Sunday. You need to take a look, take a fresh look at this familiar event. You know, this familiar time, this familiar Holy Week. Holy Week, that's, what, that's the term. Um, you may be surprised at what you see. It could change your life forever. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that you do change us. Lord, did you call us to something greater than we could ever imagine? Lord, I, I thank you, Lord God, for your love for us, for your willingness, Lord, to come, for your willingness to, uh, to die for us. So, Lord, so that we can be free, free in you, Lord God, free from sin, free from death, But I also thank you, Lord, that you've called us, Lord, into your family, into your own. Lord, that we may walk with you forever. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your plan for our lives, Lord God. Uh, corporately, Lord God, but also individually. Lord, may we hold on to that. May we hold on to the to the to the fact, Lord, that you have a plan for us, Lord, even when we don't know what's going on. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would trust you. Trust you, Lord God, above anything else. Trust you over our own uh, desires and whatever, Lord God. Lord, may we trust you, Lord God, and walk in that. In Jesus' name, amen.